Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Tonight we're beginning our look there at Romans chapter 12, and we'll be looking at uh, verse 1 down through to verse 3. Now, by way of review, I'll just take, make a few remarks of, of introduction. Now, thus far in our study of the book of Romans, we've been blessed of God to study through the first 11 chapters of this blessed book. And I pray being taught of God, we've been not... How should I put it? God must bless His Word. Um, you can hear my voice. You can hear what I'm declaring to you. And what I'm declaring to you can be faithful. It can be true. But God must bless His Word with His Spirit. And that's my prayer this evening. Indeed, that's what our Lord has taught us, is it not? Remember He said to Nicodemus, he said, no one can enter into the kingdom of heaven except they be born of water. That's speaking of the, the, the word of truth, the, the gospel truth. It must be the truth we hear before God will bless it to our hearts. And then, of course, he said, and spirit. We must be quickened powerfully from above by God's spirit if we're going to receive any kind of life. And I'm talking about physical life. Beloved, I'm talking about spiritual life. I'm talking about God's life. I'm talking about eternal life. Now, in this study thus far, we've seen here how God justifies the ungodly by His grace alone. We read in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Beloved, God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. And those who have been redeemed by His grace, we further learn how that we're dead to the law through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the Apostle wrote in Romans chapter 6? We see this in Romans chapter 6 verse 11. And Paul writes, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We also learned how that all things in our lives, all things, beloved, good and bad, what seems significant or, or even insignificant, how that all these things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We also learn how that our salvation is by the will, mercy, and purpose of God. Remember, God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so then salvation is not of that man that willeth, nor of that man that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. We also learned in chapter 11 how that there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so if it be of grace, and indeed salvation is by the grace of God alone, it's not by works. 
You see, my friend, salvation cannot be a combination of grace and works. Rather, it has to be totally by the grace of God alone. My friend, that's how God saves sinners, by his grace and not by your works. Now, in these last chapters, beginning here in chapter 12 through to the last chapter of Romans, chapter 16, we see a manifestation of God's saving mercy in our daily walk, in our daily experience, in our day-to-day lives. You see, beloved, it's in our walk. It's this, this manifestation of God's love is seen in our walk, in our talk, in our attitude, in our conduct before God and before men. You see, my friend, faith and conduct cannot be separated. It just can't be done. Where man believes and his behavior, well, they cannot be separated. Well, what do I mean by that? What do I mean that a man, what a man believes and his behavior cannot be, cannot be separated? Well, I'll give you this poor illustration. It's, it's, it's poor because I'm giving it. And secondly, it's, it's poor because it's, a, it's, 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 it's always a poor illustration when, when you're trying to use a carnal example to illustrate spiritual truths. It's just impossible. But uh, suppose um, if I told you that right now, under your, under your pew, where you're sitting right now, there's a bomb. And it's going to go off in five, four, three, two, one. Boom. Uh, none of you evidently believed <laughs> that there was a bomb under your pew. Had you believed me, you'd be running out of here pretty quick. And so you see, when God's people hear, and we heard that portion read to us just a moment ago in Matthew chapter 3, when we hear by God's revelation from above, supernaturally, I can't explain it, but we hear savingly, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. At that exact same moment that we hear the truth, we love the truth, and we cry out, O Lord, make Christ my way, my truth, my life. Remember, our Lord declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh under the Father but by me. You see, God's people not only have ears to hear the Lord Jesus Christ, not just ears, but further they have feet that follow after him. John the Baptist, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, after looking at the doctrine of Christ that we studied here in in chapters 1 through to chapter 11, well, after that comes the, the love of Christ. I'm not speaking about this in a sequential way. It happens instantaneously when God reveals the truth, which is Christ, and he sheds abroad in our heart a love for him. We, we not only love him, but we know he is truth itself. Uh, I find that's very helpful. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged by something that uh, we didn't understand. Our Lord says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Don't forget, beloved, He is the truth. 
you run to him. If there's something you're struggling with, you don't understand, you run to him. We can forget about a lot of things, but never forget that, beloved. He is truth itself. And so we see that what comes after this uh, manifestation of the truth is, is the love of Christ. Those things that we willingly and gladly receive and love that in a word is seen in our love for him. Now this word love, it's, it's a verb. I know we can feel you know, feelings, but, but love is a verb. And so you see, after a revelation of the truth, after that revelation that comes to the heart by his grace, a manifestation of God's love by his grace is seen and shown after the principles of grace. And this is after the principles of grace are established. And so we get to practice to that practice of being gracious. You see, the grace of God breeds graciousness and mercy in our hearts to others and love to others. The Apostle Paul put it this way. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you want to produce um, graciousness in the hearts of God's people, we don't preach law here. We preach Christ. We preach God's grace. We, we, we never tire of hearing again and again, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now let's take a look here at verse 1. Again, this is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, and that word therefore goes all the way back to everything the apostle said in chapter 1, when he writes, Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you. You see, he's writing to believers. He's not writing to all men everywhere in Rome. Rather, this letter is addressed to believers who lived in Rome, and it's addressed to us today, beloved. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, not the wrath of God, but by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Beloved, it's only reasonable to serve the one who has made us new creatures in Christ. And so the apostle calls upon every believer in Christ. He calls them brethren. And John writes in his first epistle, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And so therefore I beseech you, brethren. You see, Paul is writing to the family of God, the brethren, the church of God, those who have been raised from the dead and who are made one with Christ. And so because of God's great love, wherewith he loved us in Christ, Paul is therefore calling upon God's people to live under the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. You see, we live unto him who died for us. That's what being a believer is all about. We live unto him who gave his life for us. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, there, just turn there with me, Colossians chapter 3, 
verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Beloved, set your affections on things above. This is uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection, your heart, your love on things above. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now notice the apostle does not exhort us or inspire us to live for Christ and serve him by the whip of the law. Nor does he exhort us by fear of punishment and not even by promise of reward, but rather by the mercies of God. You see that again, returning to Romans 12, you see there, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, notice that's a that's plural, the mercies of God. And we read in the book of Lamentations how that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And these mercies of God are covenant mercies. Remember Isaiah 55, when Isaiah writes about the sure mercies of David? You see, these are covenant blessings and mercies based upon the covenant sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul inspires and exhorts us to live unto God by the covenant mercies of God, by the sure mercies we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the surety of a better covenant based upon better promises, and that's by the sacrifice of himself. And so Paul is speaking here about the covenant mercies based upon that covenant sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. That one offering unto God by the sacrifice of himself, where he, whereby he obtained eternal redemption for us. And so because of the sure mercies of God, Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Now, primarily what Paul is setting forth here is how that the only sacrifice that guarantees our salvation is the sacrifice of Christ. You see, his sacrifice lives. We have salvation by that living sacrifice. Indeed, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. His sacrifice is a living sacrifice unto God that is always prevailing, always powerful, and ever perpetual unto God. It's a living sacrifice, and that's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the God of peace that raised again from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. My friend, there's just one sacrifice unto God that's acceptable and holy. And that's the sacrifice of Christ. And so, beloved, present your bodies a holy living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And again, bear in mind, there's just one sacrifice unto God that is holy and acceptable. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, there in verse 14, 
whereby one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. My friend, the only way that we are holy and acceptable is in Christ, the living sacrifice. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why Paul says, I'm determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, our, our salvation is by his righteousness, by his redemption. But for you and I to believe on him savingly, for you and I to trust him, we must be born from above. Indeed, born again by water and the spirit. And so if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so in that newness of life, in that vital union we have with God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's only reasonable, therefore, that we present our whole body. I mean by that our whole person, body, soul, and spirit, all the faculties of our being, unto his cause, unto his purpose, unto his service, submitting unto his eternal purpose and willing to serve him. And so those people who live unto God are made willing in a day of his power. As we read in Psalms 110 verse 3, he makes his people willing in the day of his power. And because he died to put away our sin and ever liveth to intercede for us, it is our desire having that desire, that life implanted in our heart to live unto God, to honor Him by believing Him and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Being a servant unto the Lord is the highest privilege any person can have. And Paul often referred to himself as the servant of the Lord. And beloved, that's what we are. A beloved believing sinner, that's what we are. We've been made servants of the Most High God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Old Testament example of the bond slave? How that after he served seven years of his servitude, after that seventh year he could go out if he desired to do so. But if he loved his master and loved his family, he could serve his master out of love. And we call that being a bond slave of love. Paul considered himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think of two portions in Scripture. When, we think, when I think of uh, someone being made a servant, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember what he said? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. We read in Isaiah 6, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. You see, he was made a willing servant unto the Lord. And second, in Acts chapter 9, when the apostle Paul, who was known as Saul of Tarsus, a very jealous Pharisee, when the Lord put him in the dust, remember what he said? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, he was made a willing bondservant unto the Lord. And that's what the Lord makes us by his grace, beloved. You see, it's only reasonable to serve the one you love, is it not? It's only reasonable to serve the one who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
It's only reasonable to worship the true and living God. Now, beloved, our service unto God is not in of itself holy and acceptable. I mean, is anything in of ourselves, of our works, of our deeds, or our service, is any of it in of itself holy and acceptable unto God? Well, beloved, by God's grace, you know better than that. In Luke chapter 17, there in verse 10, our Lord teaches us there, in effect, that when you've done all your duty unto God, when you've done all you can, he tells you and me, you're still an unprofitable servant. And so you see, our service unto God is not in and of itself holy and acceptable. For you see, that would make our salvation based upon our works and not based solely upon his grace. You see, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But we're never accepted unto God by our deeds. We are never made holy unto God by our works. No, no, rather we are accepted in the beloved Son of God, accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, beloved, we submit unto his righteousness, the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. And so our only reasonable service, and that word can be rightly rendered worship, our only reasonable worship under the Lord is only acceptable and made holy unto our God through the living sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes these words in Ephesians. Turn there with me. I'd like to show you these, this portion. We've, we've read this before many, many times. <laughs> I never tire of reading this. And I trust you don't either, beloved. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning there in verse 3. Oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as our Heavenly Father hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved Son of God. Beloved, we are only accepted in the Beloved Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you would, look at Romans 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The apostle continues, and he writes there, And be not conformed to this world. Beloved, be not conformed to this world, but rather be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove, that ye may demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is that perfect will of God? This is the will of God to all those who have seen Christ Jesus the Lord. It's to bow to Him. What do we read in Psalm, Second Psalm? There in the verse 11, 
Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Beloved, be not conformed to this ungodly world, this ungodly age, especially this ungodly religious world in the day in which we live. Now, things were bad in Paul's day, and it seems like it's been all downhill since then. And so Paul reminds believers, don't be conformed to this ungodly world, especially this ungodly religious world in which we live. Don't be conformed to its schemes, its plans, or its programs. Beloved, don't be conformed to the schemes, plots, and plans of this ungodly world. Its philosophy, its mind, its thoughts, its politics, it's just all corruption. And so, beloved, don't be like them, but rather be ye transformed, be ye changed by the renewing of your mind. Beloved, God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. For ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now this can only happen, my friend, this can only happen by the sovereign will and power of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you going to renew your own mind? Not if he leaves us to ourselves. I mean, our mind is so corrupt, it's in bondage to our rotten nature. So how on earth is that going to be renewed? Well, what needs to happen is he needs to give us a new nature and give us a new heart and make us a new creature in Christ Jesus. And these things only happen, indeed, they only happened by the power of God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you have God quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Even now, beloved, even now. Beloved, he's raised us up in that he quickened us from the dead. Being raised from the dead, from being dead in trespasses and sin, he raised us up by the power of God, and he's made us, as Peter says, partakers of a divine nature. In Adam, we have that old nature, and in regeneration, God has given us a new nature, a new heart, a new spirit, that he's planted within us. Now, this can only happen by the sovereign will and power of God. You see, this is not speaking about a mere outward reformation, my friend. You see, you can 
clean up your act and all you want to, you, you know, by stopping to do this and stopping to do that, or by stopping to go over here, by not doing this or not doing that and doing this or that instead. You see, you can reform all you want to, but you're still dead in sin. My friend, God must raise you up from the dead. So we're not talking about a mere outward reformation. Not some mere reformation of, of character, but rather by the renewing and regenerating work of God the Holy Spirit, whereby He makes us new creatures in Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, there in verse 22, Paul writes, Beloved, put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Beloved, we've been made a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ, having been by his grace made partakers of a divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Now, just a, just an aside, uh, if you've not read it as, as yet, I highly recommend you read the book, The Life of God in the Soul of Man. It's by Henry Skogel. In it, he writes, True religion is a union of the soul with God, a real participation of the divine nature, the very image of God drawn upon the soul. Or in the Apostles' phrase, it is Christ formed within us. And there he's referring to Galatians in that first chapter. I love when Paul tells us how it was he was saved. He does not say that Christ was revealed merely to him, but ever so blessedly we hear Christ was revealed in him. And then Henry, I'll just finish this quote from Henry Skogel. He, he writes, Briefly, I know not how the nature of religion can be more fully expressed than by calling it a divine life. And he's referring, of course, to Second Peter on that quote there. All right, let's pick up there again in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In the latter part there, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the apostle writes there, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is, that ye may demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That you may prove, that you may demonstrate those four things. What is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect, and what the will of God is. Now let's look at those four things. That you may prove or demonstrate and experience in your heart what is really true, right, and good. Now we know this. There was none good but God. Now I know what people say when they say, well, he's a good man or he's a good person. Well, we're comparing one worm to another. He may be a better worm, but my friend, we're not the standard. We're not the standard. You see, when you compare a worm, and that's what we are, to another worm, one might be better than the other. But when you compare a maggot 
And that's what that word properly translated in English means, maggot. It's not, a, it's not an earthworm. When you compare a maggot with God, who alone is holy, well, there's no good maggot. No good maggot. You see, God is holy and we're worms. And that, my friend, is not being cruel. That's just being true. For that's what God calls us, remember? Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So there is none good but God. And so how do you demonstrate that which is good, or prove or experience that which is good? By believing the gospel, my friend. By believing Christ. The Apostle Paul writes there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now you might say, my mother was a good person, or my father was a good person. Well, I know what you mean by that. I know what you're saying. But in comparison to God, there is none good, no, not one. And then what is acceptable? What is acceptable? Prove, demonstrate what is acceptable. Let's see if we can find out. Turn over to, just a page over to Romans chapter 14, and look there in verse 17. The apostle writes there, For the kingdom of God, and this is speaking here about salvation, salvation is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, a lot of people think that they have the kingdom of God because they don't eat certain things or don't drink certain things. But my friend, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. What's acceptable to, unto God? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's how we're accepted, beloved. Our acceptance is in the beloved Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, demonstrate and prove that which is perfect. Experience that which is perfect. And when we talk about perfection, we're talking about holiness. And the only one that is perfect and holy is the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, the only way that we are made holy before God is in Christ, for he is our sanctification. He is our holiness. And prove what is that will of God or experience what is really and truly the will of God concerning you. So what is the will of God? Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6. And let's begin reading there in verse 37. Our Lord declares here, this is John chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Beloved, that's the will of God. That's holy, perfect, and acceptable unto God. You see, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. All right, let's go back to 
Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, and that was Paul's testimony, I am what I am by the grace of God. I say, through the grace of God given unto me, to every man that is among you, and here, remember, he's addressing believers. And so to every believer that is among you, every man that has experienced and tasted that the Lord is gracious, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul writes in verse 16, Beloved, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And so we ought not to think of ourselves more highly being filled up with religious pride, thinking we're a little bit better than anybody else. You see, we only believe the gospel by His grace. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we figured this thing out. Rather, God has revealed the gospel unto us. He has made us to differ. And so the believer ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Indeed, God hates a proud heart. God resisted the proud heart, and he gives grace to those who were humbled. You see, he's nigh of them of a broken heart, and save such as be of a contrite heart. Now notice the last part of verse 3. Beloved, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly, think righteously by the light of Christ, remembering what we are so that we be not lifted up with pride and self-righteousness. According as God hath dealt, according as God hath granted to every man the measure of faith. Now, who is Paul speaking to? Well, if we read in the context, he's speaking to the body of Christ. That's who every man is referring to. Does that mean every person that ever lived in this world? I mean, who is Paul addressing? If anyone honestly reads this letter, indeed just reads this chapter alone, the only right answer to that question is this. The apostle is only writing this epistle to God's people, the brethren that God had, had dealt or given to every believer the measure of faith. Now we know faith is the gift of God. Indeed, all the blessings and every good and perfect gift comes from God above. And we know faith is the gift of God. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not of yourself. It's not by your decision. It's not by what you do with Jesus. It's what the Lord Jesus is pleased to do with you. And so it's not of you. Rather, it's by the gift of God. My friend, our Heavenly Father sent His Son into the world to save sinners. You see, faith is the gift of God. I mean, if the great atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ is determined or deemed a failure or success based upon what the creature thinks of it, what kind of gospel is that? My friend, that can never be. You see, God has granted faith. Indeed, He has granted life unto His people that they may lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith does not accomplish salvation. My faith did not die for my sins. My faith does not accomplish salvation. 
Rather, faith simply receives the Lord Jesus Christ as all of my salvation. And so we rest in Him, beloved. So God has given to every one of His children this precious gift of faith that enables us to lay hold on the object of saving faith. And that is, it lays a hold of Christ and Him crucified. It lays hold of our Lord and Savior, indeed our God, Jesus Christ. And so whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, well, he's born of God. You see, my friend, we don't believe to be born again. Rather, we believe because we have been begotten of God. And being born of him, being quickened by his spirit, we not only hear his voice, but we willingly and gladly follow after him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. <laughs> 